Welcome to the number one South Asian radio station in North America. Ruckus Avenue Radio. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandigar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, a conversation with Emmy Award-winning editor, director, and producer, Kabir Akhtar. Stay tuned. Okay, so first, just a thank you to everyone for not only holding this show in high regard in your hearts and minds, but for listening on Ruckus Avenue Radio and by subscribing to the podcast and following us on social media at My Good Friend. And so to segue from that masterfully orchestrated activity, I've been thinking about the experience of TV, film, and musical director and editor a lot. In order to translate a creative vision into a package presentation, I imagine that the ingredients involve knowing the right textures and the flavors to share, executing the various tasks in building your project, and then finally selecting the components to make a final show for your audience. Gratefully to add color to my novice understanding, I was joined for a conversation by editor, director, and producer, Gabir Akhtar. Gabir is a South Asian American who grew up in Philly and has been professionally active for almost 20 years now, with credits including Arrested Development, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and Unsolved Mysteries. He's a musical project enthusiast with some terrific music videos and musical opening credits as well. Most recently, though, he's directed several episodes for Mindy Kaling's Never Have I Ever and is currently the supervising producer slash director for her upcoming HBO Max series, The Sex Lives of College Girls. He was the first person of color to win a single camera comedy editing Emmy and has been gaining accolades not only for his on-screen work, but for his mentoring and community building work as well. We chatted about his terrific journey, but we started with the importance of musical theater in his formative years. You know, the intro we will have just done is this kind of musical intro. I feel like we should have done something much, much more exciting, given your interest and background and passion for musical projects. Uh, where, where did that kind of joy come from? You know, it's funny. I'm not actually sure. I think that, I mean, in first grade, like there was the first grade musical and play, right. you know, and I was one of the leads in the play. I played young Hans Christian Andersen. And by the way, any opportunity to portray young Hans Christian Andersen should just jump at it. Yeah. Also, by the way, like now that I think about it, like credit to like the early 80s first grade like teachers being like, you know, race blind casting. That's right. They're the true pioneers. It had actually never occurred to me until just this minute that I'm like, huh, I was playing a young Dane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how weird. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I think I've just always been around theater. I'm sure so much of this is like happened via osmosis, like and my parents, you yeah. know, like they just obviously grew up in India and like, you know, was surrounded by a very lively musical culture. And I think that that bled into, you know, me and my sister are also here just growing yeah. up with it. There was always music on at the house. And, right. you know, I was in first grade, uh, first, whatever, elementary school, like started being in chorus and choirs. I'm like, was yeah. singing and performing. I'm like, that was just always a thing that was sort of always around. There was never a time that I remember that wasn't there. Right. Does that passion sort of lead a lot to, um, you know, how you gravitate towards projects or how you pick projects, that there's there's some kind of musical quality to it, even when they're not necessarily music musical in nature? Oh, I, yeah, I completely think so. I mean, you know, one of my first jobs here was within a year of moving here to L.A., there was 
one of my first gigs was editing behind the music, like doing, yeah. you know, music documentary series, then like working on music videos and like just being in this musical space of work, which yeah, again, I look back, you know, from now we've been directing musical uh, television and like I had a childhood of just spending a lot of time in theater, doing musical theater. It also makes sense when you look back, but like right. looking, you know, from there, it wasn't like, oh, I'm trying to get into more music. It was yeah. just fun. You know, I was surprised then, I'm surprised now that anyone would pay us to have worked on like those shows. Cause like all my friends, we ended up working on those shows and it was just a blast to do. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and now that you reflect back on it and, you know, you mentioned sort of the role as the editor, do you enjoy directing now or, or even being a producer now more perhaps because of having that kind of editor's eye or that, that even that musical perspective? I mean, are there elements of reflecting now back on, on your time as an editor, perhaps? And do you value that now more in your approach or your perspective now as a director? Oh, absolutely. I don't think, I don't, I have a lot of friends, you know, who direct and I do not understand how they do it. You know, the ones who don't have an editing background, you know, I say this all the time, but like, it's like editing is like cooking and directing is like going and shopping for ingredients. You know, and writing is like creating a recipe, right? But like, I, I, I am not a good cook in real life. And I have learned that I'm also not great at getting ingredients, you know, like at the store, because sometimes, you know, I'm like, well, which of these like myriad breads do I need? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but likewise, having, you know, been an editor for 20 years absolutely informs the decision-making I, I'm constantly doing on set all day long. Mm. Well, and, and does it help to understand that um, from a director's perspective for that matter, for any, any member of the team, to understand your, your, your limits and the guardrails around it and knowing when to say, Hey, listen, you know, I, I'm not in the editor's role in this particular project. And, and then that actually makes for, in fact, a better final product. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, like it, for anyone in any role, like, you know, especially yeah. in the collaborative creative environment, like on set, like the more, you know, about other departments, the better the whole thing will go. Um, yeah. Especially when you're in charge and running a set, like, you know, we do then, it's you know very helpful to know what you know and what you don't know. And I think a lot of people don't really understand what post is or how editing mm-hmm. works or what can be done. Yeah. A lot of very smart people who are like, well, the editor's kind of just picking, you know, yeah. which camera is you're on at once. And right. that's sort of it. And I'm like, well, that's not remotely anywhere near it, but <laughs> sure. It is it sometimes in fact, does it hinder your work, you know, being too much in the know and saying like, no, 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 listen, I, I know exactly what is supposed to happen. And, you know, does that sometimes affect the collaboration perhaps because you have that background, that that lens on? Um, I don't think so. I think it's it sometimes it's tricky to explain to people, you know, like yeah. a lot of people don't have a very detailed understanding of how editorial works and the, you know, vast array of tools and weapons you have in the fight to make a good show can, things you can do things that are you know essentially free to do in post that are become very costly on set you know like we can yeah. spend more time doing these things on set. the clock is ticking the sun is setting we're approaching overtime there's like ways to save in a very macro way by making very micro specific decisions about like you know the way things are happening in a frame yeah are you a perfectionist by nature at all in, in either of these domains? And, and by the way, does that help accelerate the process or, or make um, the creative uh, journey that much easier or, or harder for that matter? 
Well, the problem is, I mean, perfect is itself a sort of, you know, subjective term, right? <clears throat> I think that there is always um, kind of we're aiming for things, but I think if you are trying to be too perfect at a lot of things, you end up missing opportunities for like spontaneity, mm. right? So like if you leave some wiggle room, I'm like, you're like aiming at a destination and on the way there, if you're so focused on getting exactly this thing to work exactly this way, right? you're going to have blinders on to like some awesome magical thing that suddenly rears its head and an actor suddenly like pitches a thing that you're like, oh, that's great. Or like, you know, the camera department has like a cool idea. If you're like too laser focused on doing it your own way, then like you miss other people's sort of spontaneous collaborative input, which is, I think, where the real magic is. You're talking, we were talking about this earlier, about doing things your own way and like even the simplicity of, of pronouncing our names, right? And um, this idea of like, well, is it, uh, you know, Akhtar or is it Akhtar? And, and I mean, does, does sometimes, do, you, do we need to pick a lane for these kinds of things, whether it's in the creative space or our personal spaces? And I mean, are we almost forced to? And, and now you've been, you know, someone who's, been on the creative side of a, a South Asian story in Never Have I Ever. It, it, is that tough? To, is it tougher than it seems to do to have to pick a lane? And do you even have to pick the lane? You know, I don't know that it is. I feel like it's happened to me a lot that sometimes people have come up to me after I've done, you know, some work or something and been like, well, that thing looked really like that looked difficult, you know, like that seemed yeah. like a real challenge, you know, and I hate saying this because it sounds so weirdly arrogant but sometimes i'm like well that was not difficult at all really like i really enjoyed doing that you know i you know won an emmy for editing the pilot of crazy ex-girlfriend yeah. which i loved doing and i you know, had some friends come up and be like you know that was show was a comedy and a musical and a drama all in that one episode and like yeah it seemed really challenging and i'm like i realize how this sounds but like i was like i just loved doing it it was a yeah absolute joy and pleasure from like front to back right well, and, and because it was so much fun, did it sort of seem like it was more effortless because of that? It was just like, like it, it didn't feel like it were heavy lifting and it was yeah. much more fun to do. I think so. And, you know, I mean, I remember, for example, working on that pilot episode, it didn't feel like any heavy lifting at all. It was like yeah. a, just a complete pleasure. I mean, it's like bananas to like look back and, you know, like be winning an award for doing something that was like just happy you know yeah. <laughs> like you're like no this is just great i enjoyed this it was like you know i like certainly have worked jobs in the past that were like you know challenging difficult toilful yeah. toilsome yeah. i'm not sure toilsome. Like, i like toilsome that's the, i mean if we're going to create a word today that's the one. Oh yeah toilsome it's, it's hard to say and it doesn't feel good in your mouth when you say <laughs> that's right but you know like it's like i i don't know i i think that that was like lightning in a bottle for like many reasons that show was but that experience for me too i mean i it was you know, you work for a long time. I, I was to get to something like that. At that point, I was, I don't know, 16 years into my career when that started. Yeah. And, and I mean, the awards in particular, right? Thinking about that, that particular award, I think you were the first person of color to win in that category ever. Does the award or even just the reflection on that and, and being recognized for it, does it actually make it easier because of that recognition, because of knowing that it was so much fun you're passionate about? Does it actually make it easier to mentor or guide somebody else because of the recognition, because of the reflection on it, and because of the, in some ways, affirmation as a person of color for that award? You know, I don't know how that relates to mentorship. I mean, it certainly has like elevated, you know, like my position at work, whatever that means. That like, yeah. I think more people have been open to the idea of like, being a mentee, which also is a word that I feel like everybody uses, but 
Yeah. But, you know, I think that, I mean, I've always really dug the notion of like mentorship and I feel like, you know, there were a few people, the short list of people that I worked for on my kind of way up that yeah. were very helpful and made a gigantic difference in my career. And, you know, when you're starting, I mean, like you need help, you need people yeah. in front of you, like helping. And I love getting the opportunity to do that these days and for the last, especially the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, I've been trying very hard to like do that. And I do it more and more and more. I have like, yeah. you know, a couple of mentees and a couple of programs right now. And it's just, yeah. The time spent, I feel like, is really valuable. You know, I mean, right. South Asian or not, I just feel like for people who are obviously talented, it's like, you know, this industry is a really difficult one. Your career trajectory is like nonlinear for everybody. It's kind of like stochastic and like moves in, fits and starts and like sometimes doesn't move at all. And it's rarely to do with the fact that people are or aren't talented. More to the point has to do with the weather people, you know, you have connections or frankly, you have to get lucky. You need to get struck by lightning. I wonder if it's just that much more reassuring, right? That like, you know, when you do get the awards and the, and the accolades that like the, the mentees, if you will, in some ways are kind of automatically or magnetically gravitating towards you because of that recognition. Maybe. I mean, it's certainly, you know, it's interesting because I think you can have a tendency to look at, if you start thinking of awards that way, you can also look at the flip side of that, which is that if you don't win for something, then you can start to feel like it's also a reflection on you, which it's not necessarily, you don't want to go too high or too low from it. Yeah. Being recognized by your peers is certainly a cool thing to be like, yeah. oh, you've done some work that like affected people, that moved people, that meant something to people and also, you know, reflected on your craft technically proficiently. It's such a crowded landscape these days. Yeah. It's, you know, like I think about like, I've been nominated for a bunch of awards and not one. And even, I mean, even that, like to be, you know, end up on a list of like uh, top five of whatever, a hundred, 200 is like, well, that's ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was like a kid, like at school, they would do like every now and then like a free raffle giveaway, like get a little you know <laughs> raffle ticket. And like, they would give away like a giant chocolate chip cookie or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm talking like as big as your head, you know, one person wins that it's hard to win stuff. I'm not really, I don't really have a lot of experience winning. Also as a Philadelphia sports fan, I don't have a lot of experience. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Let me ask you this. I mean, in in reflecting back from the beginning of your career to now, especially with Never Have I Ever having its sort of worldwide success, you know, for us as kind of first generation kids, you know, we'll relate uh, to the subtext and the nuances of that particular story. Ironically, my own teenagers who are, are second generation, you know, have a completely different um, reaction or relationship with the with those huh. stories. You know, is it more important to have more stories that speak to those different relatabilities, if you will, or is it just as important, equally important, to just have good stories that are telling a story and, and hitting the kind of representation buttons? How do you reflect on that now? Especially, you know, you're you're not at the very beginning of your career um, where you're embarking on this, and and rather you've been in this industry for a while. How, how do you sort of think about that that context? You know, I think that. The fact that we can even talk about this at all is bananas. I mean, you yeah. know, it's like, a victory. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, I, I know that when when the show came out last year, and you know, I mean, I yeah, directed four episodes now total. I mean, still feel like a you know a small part of the machine. You know, TV shows are big, big things, and not you know down here in, in my one corner. Right. Um, but it's like you know there was a lot of like very celebratory reaction to it, like you were saying about a first gen Indian American teenager story, but there were also people who were like, well, this isn't, this isn't an accurate story. This isn't my story. And I'm like, 
But even that, I think, speaks so loudly to the fact that, let's say, last year when the first season came out, we're like, oh, cool. Here's one show about this kind yeah. of family, about this kind of kid in school. You yeah. know? I mean, I, I think that, you know, for so long, there were zero. Yeah. And so the fact that there's now like one like this, you give it another few years, I'm like, the more of them there are, the less remarkable they'll be for that reason, right? Yep. They'll be like, oh, there's a story of a different, you know, whatever. Like, it's, right. I think it's just, it, it's just a matter of like having opened the door and it's, you know, Barack Obama, first black president being a big deal. And sure, there will be a second one and it'll be a big deal, but it'll be, you know, a little bit also people will be a little more adjusted to it and used to it. And that won't be necessarily the thing about it that's, you know, the first thing that people remember. And is, is the formula for success filling an open space or is it is it still the power of telling a great story that transcends whether you're a first generation South Asian or not? That like, you know, anybody can kind of relate to or or more people broadly relate to it. Is there is there a balance that you have to strike between that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that when I worked on it, I remember I felt like very proud of the show we had made. Yeah. But also, you know, I was like, well, this is like a cool high school show. And I figure like a lot of people, maybe middle school and high school will watch it. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I was, I think everyone was very surprised and blown away by the reaction that it touched so many people. But that I think to your point is like, you know, about the story that it's telling, you know, it's so interesting and so compelling and fun to watch. I'll tell you that as a fan, like, you know, so I directed the first and second episodes of season two and I had read the scripts, you know, while working on it for the first nine Yep. Of season two, there's 10. I did not read the 10th one because I wanted to watch it as a fan and see yeah. what happened. So I waited for it to come out and like actually saw, like just watch it on Netflix and be like, cool, I'd like to sit back and enjoy yeah. one. And I mean, did that add to the sort of experience or the joy of, of the product? Well, yeah, like, you know, whenever you read a script, you're always like, especially as a director, you're imagining what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like, you know? And it was just great to sort of like just sit back and watch it and not have like thought it through or just not have it like appear on a piece of paper, but to actually see it like the way it's yeah. meant to be, you know, like there's shows, there have been shows sometimes that I'm like, I, I'm a fan of, and I'm like, Oh, working on it now. Suddenly it's like, here, read the entire next season, you know, up until your episode. I'm like, Oh, well, that's different than just watching it. You read it. Like, oh, cool. Right. Yeah. But the emotional experience is very different. In, in thinking about this now where you have sort of two different iterations of Never Have I Ever, especially now having had that experience with the second season. Did, did you discover anything new about yourself or any surprises or epiphanies you felt now directing, particularly directing other South Asian American or South Asian actors in general um, on, on this particular project that you hadn't known about yourself before? I'm not sure that I did. You know, It was really cool to connect with and just be there on set and be part of like you know, small decision-making. I mean, so much of this is small decision-making anyway. I mean, sometimes there's big ones for sure. <clears throat> but like, you know, in my, one of my first episodes, there was like a scene, the family's having dinner at the house. Yeah. And, you know, so they had like the, they had come and like set up the table, right. With like plates and napkins and like water and forks and knives. Yeah. And like, you know, the food that they had gotten were like masala dosas. And, yeah. you know, the actors were all like, we're not using these forks and knives. We shouldn't even have them out. I'm like, no, totally get rid of them. Like, yeah, that's not, that's not a move. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's sometimes it's just small things like that. And, you know, the cast was going to say that probably to anybody, but for me, I looked at it too. I was like, nope, I don't think this is, this is well-intentioned, but it's not, it doesn't sort of fit. Well, and does that, does that happen spontaneously a lot more easily because of, you know, who the cast is, who the director is and, and the fact that you've maybe had some of these common experiences? Yeah, but you know, it's funny also to your earlier point, I have certainly found that like, you know, 
I have a lot of experiences that were very uh, specific just to our own family. And like, we're not common, like a lot of, you know, yeah. people sometimes will be like, oh, well, it's like an Indian household. So shoes off, you know? And I'm like, I we, was shoes on at my house. That was just a thing. Right. Tracking are in everywhere. That was me. Yeah. So I think it also was interesting to look at from the point of view of like people on the outside saying, yeah. well, this show isn't exactly about my South Asian experience. Right. I'm like, well, no, it's not even exactly about mine, but it's about one and I think that is worth celebrating and being excited about. Did it teach, did the experience teach you anything about the different varieties of even South Asian actors, whether or not you were born and brought up here or you're a second generation, you're, you're someone who's been born and brought up even in South Asia? Yeah, I think so. I feel like, I, you know, the show, like the family is like a Tamil family. So like they, you yeah. know, there's more, there's just different things. There's just like small yes. differences. I, can, I can't even think of any of them now, of course because now is an appropriate time to talk about it. Right, right. Now, now, of course, they've all left my head. But like, you know, it's, it's just, it's been interesting, I think, to see small details, small differences that I'm like, I'm not an expert on, you know? Yeah, we talked about this briefly already, but Sex Lives of College Girls comes out soon. Another collaboration between you and Mindy Kaling. Is there some value and importance to the sort of longitudinal relationship development that you have with a creator like that? Does it show in the final product that as you go through each iteration of working together? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like being in a band, but like, you know, yeah. people, you put out like multiple songs, right? Multiple songs, put out multiple records. And like, <clears throat> over time, there's like more gelling, more of a sort of a, you know, instinctive understanding of how, like how to work together. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most fun parts about this job at all is like the collaborative nature of it. And when you find people that you enjoy working with and you feel like you see eye to eye and you have an understanding of how each other works and a respect for how each other work, that like it not only makes it fun and faster, more efficient to do the work, but it also makes, I think, the end result come out better. You know, like, I mean, this is the, you know, two seasons of Never Have I Ever now, Sex Lives of College Girls, the third thing that I've worked on with. Mindy and she has always been so supportive and so like open and like collaborative and just very instinctively smart about stuff. It's really like fun to work with her. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes, I think that makes a ton of difference. No, definitely. And, and, and in that same, you know, vein, someone now who is so supportive and, and really sort of um, uh, opening up so many windows and pathways for these projects and things to come out, what still needs to be done um, perhaps in, in the industry in general, from the perspective of, of being a South Asian editor or director or producer to kind of advance the representation and kind of get to that point where we're not necessarily thinking um, so much that it's not an oddity for there to be some of these kinds of opportunities or productions. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, hopefully, like I said, five, 10 years from now, like we're not talking about one show anymore, right? It's like this one could have kicked it off, but like, yeah that it expands from here. And, you know, one of the big things that happens, I think industry-wide as far as like representation and diversity is like, you know, we talk a lot about like opening up the pipeline, getting people into the system so they can work their way up. And there's been so much of that happening, you know, especially in the last four or five years or more than ever before. Like some of these studios had diversity programs going back, seriously, like 2007, you know, it was the first time I got a sniff of one. Yeah. And I think they were working really, really hard to accomplish things. But I also feel like no one was listening to them. Like they were like, we're working on diversity here because it's some mandate from this corporation. Right. And yet, like no one was taking them seriously, you know, despite their best efforts up above them. And is that the switch that's maybe gone off that there's maybe more dialogue or more listening to the them 
that there's yeah. actually that involvement? Oh, for sure. But I, th I think it's, you know, and some of that, frankly, I think it was driven by fear. Now, like, mm -hmm. you know, the corporate bottom line is worried about like not doing, you know, the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> so they're sort of leaning harder into like doing that. And like I say, about expanding the pipeline, it's been a really interesting thing. But one thing that's starting that we're seeing more and more of now, I do, you know, I'm one of the co-chairs of the DGA's Asian American Committee. And like, so we do a lot of work on this front. Yeah. And one thing you see more is that there's not as much, there's a lot of talk about like how we get these people from like zero to one or one to you know, two, but there's not a lot of talk yet about like how we get these people from five to eight, you know, yeah. or like yeah. eight to 10. Yeah. <laughs> because it's still so new. There's still like so many of us sort of at the forefront of this. Well, and yeah. in that, in those conversations is the quantum leap of sort of involvement and integration. The, the step now that's possibly needed is the step that goes from not only that participation, but to leadership, making the kind of architecture that makes all these more, more possible. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I'm a mentor in a South Asian sort of salon program they have here, but it was pretty interesting because when I read about it, I was like, oh my God, I am dying to be involved in that. But I, and I met with the people who were running it and like all of us were like, we, how have we not heard of each other? You know, like, yeah. and I think a lot of that is like, there's, there aren't that many of us, you yeah. know, in the industry. Like I, I looked this up, this information may be slightly out of date, a year, half a year, but like, you know, to see how many like South Asian TV directors yeah. there are working and went, you know, was looking through the databases of this and like how many there are that had done like more than two episodes of mm -hmm. TV mm -hmm. in the past five years or whatever. Yeah. And there were like, it was something like 16 or 17 wow. people, that's it. And, you know, across like, thousands of television right. episodes being produced each year. You know, and as, as it's new and it keeps getting reinvented and as you sort of reflect back even uh, on your career, the, the, you know, sort of steps that are successful and the missteps that you've maybe made and sort of like the learning that, and the lessons that you have from that. Um, is there advice that you would think about in mentoring, you know, today that's just kind of like, wow, I would have never thought about this when I was first starting out because it just wasn't, you know, even a part of my, of my language or my vernacular as I was doing this. But now that the, you know that there's 16 others that are out there, you're like, well, no, absolutely. We have to like do this so differently so that there can, you know, be that scale and spread of even more. Man, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, the hardest thing about this industry is also the most important thing, which is, yeah. you know, who do you know? Or I guess really who knows you? And like when I moved here to LA, like I didn't basically know anybody. Yeah. So it took, it was hard enough to find a job, you know, and then like a few years of like working and trying to like figure out how do I get from here, you know, working in like these reality shows or just like music documentary space. How do I get from here to working on like, you know, scripted narrative content? Doing that took a few years, but figuring out how also took a few years first. Yeah. It's not like loading up Google Maps and being like, how do I get from here to there? It's like, oh, do this. Like, you know, so it's interesting because like even the younger sort of emerging talent that I meet now who are kind of on their way up, I always think about this. I'm like, well, there are so many more people must be out there who I don't know and who have like no path to me. Although I think also like in a lot of ways, social media, for example, makes this both easier and harder sure. because then on the one hand, someone can reach me directly. But yeah. on the other hand, if now everyone can, it makes it that much harder. <laughs> Was it, does it make it, uh, does it get easier now to then, you know, in some ways, because 
of the created roadmaps or because now, at least for you, this has been so much more resonant with the fueled and built success, just easier now to just trust yourself and trust your instinct as opposed to thinking about like, well, what's the right thing to do? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that comes with practice and experience and certainly having failed a lot, you know, like I certainly know people who are like, wow, it's amazing. Like, you know, you're directing full time and you want an Emmy. And like, that's just like, you, you, it's just going so well. Like, you know, I'm like, yeah. But like, you take the long view, like I didn't get to full-time directing for 20 years, despite trying from day one. It's a long game. And I hope people out there who are trying get better sooner than I did. Um, You know, at least I had a whole successful first half of my career as an editor, right? So like, in some ways, as an artist, as someone who's creating stuff, you're, you have an audience of one, right? I mean, you're your, your most, your most ardent fan, you're your most um, severe critic. Do do your parents watch your work? Do they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. How, how did they feel about uh, uh, some of your stuff, particularly from the, the lens of um, being South Asian American parents? You know, my parents are like awesome and very supportive. I think they're just very excited when they see my name on screen. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when I was editing, I was like, that's a thing that not everybody understands, you know, for sure. Um, yeah. And also your name is like way off in the back somewhere. So I can think they're even more excited now to be watching this. Like, oh, great. They see that. And I think that maybe offers an extra positive spin for the remaining right. <laughs> rest of the episode they're watching. <laughs> Kabir, uh, it's been so thrilling to, to have a conversation with you. It's been a treat to have you on. I hope you'll come back and join us again at some point. Yeah, what a pleasure. And the pleasure is truly all ours, Kabir. And a big shout out to whoever casted Common slash Dr. Jackson for showcasing that we need more male black physicians in our communities. I do think that a musical TV series done Bollywood style, but set in suburban America is a project waiting to happen. Ripe, I tell you. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. Hi, this is Raginder, and you can check out ruckusavenueradio.com for more information and for the latest on station programming and more.